0: Good morning. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Freedom and Wealth Podcast. This is your host, Brian Nicolason. Thank you for joining. Uh, Today is February 14th, 2022. Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day to everybody. I'm going to start with a little bit of a market update. Uh, Last week, we saw a sell-off on Thursday from some bad CPI numbers in the morning. So they're posted at 8.30 a.m. Eastern Time, Wall Street Time. And uh they posted seven and a half percent inflation from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Now that was a number I guess was shocking to some people, it was not shocking to us. Uh we knew that that inflation is entrenched, it's only gonna get worse from here. Uh the inflation numbers are not gonna get better. I guess some people had hoped that uh maybe inflation was was gonna uh, go away on its own. But um that's not the case. So Kind of a little bit of a rocky start on Thursday. That was the 10th. And then I th- about 1 o'clock in the afternoon, James Bullard, who is the president of the Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis, came out in favor of a expedited uh, interest rate hike of 100 basis points, the first hike in March. And that spooked the markets to so understand that there are actually some Fed presidents out there who are a little bit hawkish. Um, still can't consider them hawks. They're still doves, but a little bit more hawkish than the Fed president uh, or chairman Fed Powell or Jerome Powell. So basically that from 1 o'clock or one thirty in the afternoon on Thursday to the end of the day, we saw a 2% drop in the markets, a continued drop on Friday and uh, ended the week very poor um, by the end of the end of the week. So you know, how bad were these, these inflation numbers? Again, seven and a half percent inflation for the year. So basically, 12 months, including January of 2022, we saw seven and a half percent inflation. Uh, energy was up 27 percent, food up seven percent, shelter supposedly up 4.4 percent, and cars up 12 to 40 percent, depending you talk about new or used cars. And, you know, I can tell you, I haven't. Um, I actually did. We we leased a new car, but uh, I didn't buy any cars this year, so I don't have any experience with that. I have plenty of experience with uh, food and energy, uh, as well as shelter. So, the idea, of food up seven percent. Um, again, I'm not sure where they got that number. I would I would guess it's a little bit higher based on my grocery bills. And it's always hard to try and figure out what what you used to pay and what you pay now, but uh, I can tell you food is, is incredibly expensive, especially, you know, meat. And, um, you know, being that we do eat meat in my house, uh, that's that's been a big increase in cost. So that food number at seven percent is probably likely higher for most people. Uh, shelter up four point four percent. I think that's a really interesting one. Um, because what they use for shelter is they actually use what's called owner's equivalent rent. And what that is, is they basically go out and they talk to a few homeowners and they ask them, OK, Mr. Homeowner, I know you don't rent your house, but if you did, how much more would you rent it for this year versus last year? And they expect a homeowner that has no experience renting their house uh, to try and imagine what they might rent their house for. I mean it's the most ridiculous thing. You could use the price of homes, single family homes, or you can use rents or or some blend of the two. That would be a little bit that would make a little more sense as far as uh trying to figure out what, what the increase in the cost of shelter was, but the government doesn't want to do that. They want to keep CPI down, so they use this owner's equivalent rent, which is basically a made-up number, right? And that makes up I think thirty percent of the CPI. So In fact, if you look at a website called ShadowStats, I think it's ShadowStats.com, a gentleman named John Williams. Let me just pull that up. Okay, yeah, it's ShadowStats.com. Now, if you type in ShadowStats.com, it doesn't seem to go directly to the website, but if you Google ShadowStats, then you'll go to the website there, ShadowStats.com. And a gentleman named John Williams has kind of been tracking the CPI, and if you can look, you look at alternative or alternate data and look at inflation he posts the consumer price index based on the current calculation as well as the 1990 calculation and also the 1980 calculation and if you look at the 1980 calculation you can see inflation over and above 15% uh which makes this an all-time high inflation now it's interesting when i and i had just heard the story of why the government changed the CPI in the first place back in the in the 80s when they had some really high uh, CPI adjustments to Social Security. They were trying to figure out a way to cut Social Security without uh, making it a political thing. And they realized that as, if we could make the CPI lower, then uh, we won't have to, to increase Social Security quite as much. That'll reduce our, our liability for the social security program. So that's actually the original reason why they changed the calculation on the CPI to make it a lower number, which in effect saved them money without having anybody, you know, have to vote on, on it on record, you know, uh, the third rail politics, as they call it, you know, you don't want to touch social security. So they are able in effect to reduce the social security expenditure by lowering the CPI. So but when they did that they realized that there was a ton of other benefits right uh, basically those benefits being that they could kind of spend with a little bit more impunity and not have to be held accountable for their increasing the cost of goods if they could just manipulate that number and they've continued to adjust that number and adjust it in a way that makes it lower than what what's actually going on and they're looking to adjust that again so anytime the government's trying to play with statistics because they don't want us to know the truth. And the truth is CPI, consumer prices, are very likely above 15% increase this year, which is the highest inflation ever. I'm going to pause there. Highest inflation ever. Now, this is just a huge, um, I think it should be a wake-up call to anybody who's listening out there, who's been listening to some of the mainstream media that's telling them, okay, inflation is transitory. That was the story last year. It's all supply chains. Then it's not transitory. It's here, but we're going to fix it. Um, And and if you believe the government, they're going to be able to fix this inflation problem, um, I I think you're falling for it the the way they want you to. They are not going to be able to fix this inflation problem. Uh, Inflation is entrenched in every meaning of the word. It is here in you you know you name it. It's it's basically an effect of printing money. I mean, printing money you inflate the money supply, and then eventually it makes it to the supermarket, and the price of goods go up because in a in a little just an example, if there was a little mini economy with two you know with a um, hundred dollars in the economy, and there were two goods. Well, each good, assuming they were equal, would be worth fifty dollars. Well, if all of a sudden there's two hundred dollars in the economy, but the same two goods then each good now costs $100, right? That's an increase in the cost due to an increase in money supply. And this happens when you print money and you tell people to stay home. They didn't increase production. There's no more goods to, be, to go around. There's the same amount of goods. There's just more money. So in effect, you're going to have an increase in prices. Now, you know, cars... The price of cars gone up, you know, again, 12 to 40 percent, whether it's a new car or used car. Um, those car prices are not going to go down. I mean, they might come down a little bit um, as as shortages start to uh, get fixed. But there are massive shortages in, in all materials. I mean, you, we talk to people every day, clients in all industries, uh, many of them in purchasing or, or on a management level. And every single person will tell us, you name a material, there's a shortage of it. Uh, And when you have this big of of shortages, then that is entrenched. Um, There are are problems with the production of goods, um, and that's going to maintain for years, for years to come. And and consumers' expectation of inflation also becomes a a self-fulfilling prophecy, if you will. You know, as somebody who maybe controls the pricing for cars, sees everything else going up, they're going to increase the price of their cars. Um, because they need to make more money and and it becomes a little bit of a, a snowball effect in that regard too. But I want to focus just a little bit on energy today because energy was up uh 27%, it's been in the news because of the Russia Ukraine issue, you know, that oils I think it was you know past $90 a barrel. Um we're going to be well over $100 a barrel soon. And so oil is is this metric that everybody looks at for, you know, price increases, but if you actually look at the price of natural gas, uh, this is an interesting one. I mean, you see natural gas prices, um, much higher than they were, you know, pre COVID, right? I mean, pre COVID maybe $3 and 25 cents, uh, whatever they call this here. Let's look at this. Um, so this is a natural gas kind of commodity index. And it was at, you know, all through 2017, 2018, 2019, it was, you know, in that three dollar range or, or and then or three points, and then it obviously fell off here during COVID when there wasn't a lot of demand. But now we're up four dollars, four fifty, five dollars, five fifty six. And you're seeing this huge increase in this this cost of natural gas. And natural gas, I think, impacts so many people that it, it's pretty important. And I think I want to talk a little bit about this you know current political policy has an impact right so you know biden gets elected and and he gets elected with his base you know wanting to to fix the climate problem um and, and you know the, the democratic party has this big focus on environment and being green uh which i think you know is a little bit of uh, uh maybe a game if you will to to just try and appeal to to the to the emotional side of the voters, but because look, it doesn't matter whether you're Republican or, you know, a Democrat, we all want, you know, to preserve nature the best we can. We all want a safe environment. You know, um, nobody wants to pollute. Nobody wants to litter. Nobody wants to do these things. So to make it a political issue to me is, is one of the first problems. But again, you know, Biden gets elected. He's got to make a statement. So he starts capping wells and suspending oil and gas leasing and shutting down pipelines and, and causing all these disruptions in this, what was a booming oil and gas industry under the Trump administration. Again, to political, political aside, right, or environmental aside, the fact is we were producing and expanding our production of oil and gas. And yes, Biden's policies made an impact. But what really happens is when you make these type of policies, you scare off new investment, right? I mean, if I'm an investor, why would I want to invest in a natural gas production or oil production, knowing that the person who could just shut it down any second is talking um, abrasively about the oil and gas industry? Why would you want to invest in that industry? So you don't, right? You look to invest somewhere else. And so there was a shortage of investing. And so not only do, even if you reverse these policies, which Biden's doing right, he's signing more, you know, oil and gas exploration leases than than Trump ever did. I mean, he's just going in and signing it all. I mean, he doesn't want to tell you that, you know, the Dems don't want to tell you that because it's against what they you are know, trying to, to do um, on the environmental side. But they need to do something. They're just trying to do anything to calm this inflation fire, Um and they getting rid of the gas tax right i mean they're just doing anything they can to try and keep energy costs down but they're never going to do it because even you have a you you've you shut down this new investment flow of capital and so you now have this shortage of this natural gas and you know this idea that renewable energy is going to give us all the energy we need right we're going to run on solar and wind and hydro um, by the way nuclear is probably the best way to do it but they don't want to do that because it's got you know, again, political ramifications. But it's it's one of the cleaner energy sources and and much more efficient than solar panels or or wind or hydro. So they want us to believe that this this some great ability for us to be on on solar panels, right? Um, that is never going to happen. First of all, I mean, it, even if it did happen. We would have to do so much to get to that point. You know, you you see renewable energy making up very small percentages of our of our especially our electricity consumption. The majority of our electricity is coal. Right. So to get off coal and to get all that to solar and then to take the natural gas portion and move that to electricity. I mean, you would have to basically put a solar panel on every single house, which means every single American would have to find a way to strip off their roof, put a new roof on, put the solar panels on, buy the solar panels, right? Or we have to subscribe to some solar city program, you know, and give Elon Musk all our money. So you basically have to go into every house, every piece of property that they have and put solar panels. I mean, you'd have to put so many solar panels out there, so many wind turbines just to get this to the point. And then you'd have to convert every house that runs on natural gas to electricity, right? And then you'd probably have to invest in a huge amount of batteries to try and, you know, store a little bit of electricity because, you know, the grid, otherwise there would be all these rolling outages in the grid. And so there are so many problems with getting to that point. And you may want to just say, oh, that sounds great. That's the point we're going to get to. We're all going to be, you know, net zero emissions and, and no more natural gas, no more mining. Well, by the way, you're going to have to mine for lithium, Right especially if you want to get off oil, because the car, every car, everybody's going to have to get a new car, right? So every American's going to have to figure out how to get rid of their car, buy a new car, right? Which a lot of people don't want to do. By the way, you know, everybody has you know, a lot of new cars already. <laughs> so why would you, you're going to have to, so you're going to have to somehow convince every American that they want to have to get rid of their gas powered cars and get an electric car. And then you, they all have to have lithium batteries, which I don't even know that there's enough lithium in the world to be able to give everybody a car. But even if you did, the lithium mining is extremely bad for the environment. I mean, you have to go into these rural areas in Chile and you know other places, South America, and basically destroy the environment. I mean, destroy the ecosystem and then use 500,000 gallons of water uh, just to get one metric ton of lithium, okay? So it's highly water intensive, which is a scarcity, right? It's horrible for the ecosystem. Now, by the way, and you want to do a bunch of solar panels? You're going to have to basically clear out huge pieces of land, right? What about all the animals and and the you know the, that that live on that that land? Are well, you going to basically run wire through the ground and plow it all, even it all out, put your solar panels there? I mean, this is a major major change that's never going to happen. So you basically have this situation where. We have a huge need for natural gas. Not only are we stopping the ability to get natural gas here, we're also scaring off all the investors that would give us a better path forward over the next 20 to 30 years as we transition to this you know, clean energy, renewable energy source. Okay, If you wanted to get there, you have to keep the natural gas production up. Now, by the way, we have enough natural gas here and oil where we could actually be a net exporter, right? but we don't want to do that. Right. Instead, we want somebody else to mine it, and we can buy it. Right now, what does that do? It, it it basically keeps it keeps us in a position as a debtor nation. Right. We're not increasing production of anything. So instead, we're just going to be continuing to pile on the debt, huge trade deficits, trying to bring in the natural gas and oil because nobody wants to invest in it here because the government at the the swipe of a pen can shut you down and you lose all your money. So nobody's going to want to invest in doing it here. So we're going to have these continued problems over the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years as we somehow transition to this incredibly expensive, incredibly environmentally unfriendly way of building out this renewable energy infrastructure. And then there's going to be all the political hiccups. It's going to get, you know, stop and go and stop and go. I mean, we're going to have this entrenched inflation in the energy side for the next 20, 30, 40 years. Same thing with housing. We've had low housing builds, you know, even as populations have kind of expanded. So we're going to have housing shortages here for a long while to come. Um, And and same thing with food. You know, food, again, has, has all these supply chain issues. We're talking about years and years on top of the fact that they're just printing money. So, again, this is not realistic that inflation is just going to go away. It's not going away. It is here. It's entrenched. It's in food. It's in energy. It's in products. It's in, you know, cars. It's in shelter. It's in labor, right? Uh, baby boomers are retiring. You know, people are dying from COVID. Uh, people are dropping from the labor force for all different types of reasons. We have increased regulation taxes. All these things increase production costs. Um, you know, as, as again, as, as we continue to add regulation, red tape, you know these it's more and more expensive to produce things um so we have a building in inflation not a decreasing inflation so is the market scared about rate hikes because of entrenched inflation yes and it should be rate hikes at 1% you know 100 basis points in march not even going to not even going to start to solve the problem you know we need rate hikes paul volcker style right Major, major rate hikes, huge tightening programs, um, all of which our economy cannot handle. Um, so we are in for extreme volatility as the Fed tries to do it. And then eventually they're going to break the market and the market is going to basically gonna come into a correction. And we're by the way, we're almost already there in many markets and we haven't even started tightening yet. So the Fed is then going to have a choice. Either they continue to fight inflation, which is going to have to continue to raise rates okay, and continue to tighten and push, you know, unload their balance sheet. And if they do that, they will break the economy. They will break the stock market, particularly not necessarily the economy, but the stock market. Now, the economy will fall with the stock market for all the reasons, the wealth effect and all the things that that unfortunately our economy is kind of being led a little bit by the stock market, which is not how it's supposed to be. That's kind of going on. So I think you'll see actually a correction into the economy as well. We'll be into a recession at that point. And then the question is, do they keep going? Do they push us into basically a depression, which will take a long time to come out of it. But at the end of a 15, 20 year cycle, we could see a, a, a much better position with a with a stronger uh, government, a stronger dollar, and an ability to maintain our position. But we're going to have a lot of hard times. That is not politically popular. The Fed is not going to want to do that. Instead, they're going to want to make everybody happy, get rid of pain. Right? They don't want people to feel pain. So when they break the market, they're going to change their mind. I think that's the more likely of the two is that they actually end up changing their mind and reducing rates back down to zero, starting up a new QE program, printing a couple more trillion dollars, pushing us to 40 trillion, 50 trillion, 60 trillion in debt. And when they do that, that's even worse for the economy. Because when they start doing that, right, and, and I call that backing down right? Not being hawkish, being dovish, basically going back to zero. That'll be the last time they ever try and raise rates because they failed in 08, they failed in 2018, and they failed again. And they're going to fail earlier now than they did in 2018 because of the size of the debt and um, both on the federal side, but the corporate side as well. So they're going to fail earlier. And that might be the last time they ever try and raise interest rates, which means they'll be at zero interest. Okay. And you're gonna to start to see inflation start to spiral, right? And continue to go higher and higher and higher. And then people, investors around the world are not gonna to want to hold dollars. So when the Fed goes out with a um you know, an auction on new debt because the government's just gonna be spending all these welfare programs and that all all the like, when they go out with new debt, nobody's gonna want it. Nobody's going to want a dollar denominated debt because by the time you get your payback, right, you buy a bond from the U.S. government, you hold it for 30 years. By the time you get it back, it's worth, you know, a 10 percent of what it was 30 years prior because of the inflation rate. And it's at a low interest rate. You're going to start demanding a higher and higher interest rate as a global investor. And so the Fed is going to have to keep going in and buying and buying and buying to try and keep that that long end of the curve down. Again, the Fed can't change interest rates. They can guide interest rates. They can guide the short term of the curve with their Fed funds rate. But the long end of the curve, they control with their quantitative easing program by buying the debt and injecting money back into the market through the, through the government and, and directly through the banking system by buying mortgage-backed securities. And that keeps interest rates down. That purchase program is going to have to go larger and larger and larger. And the corporations, okay, that are borrowing money at low interests, right? There's a huge number of corporations that borrow money to survive, that borrow money to stay in business. They don't make money. They don't make a profit. I don't know what the percentage is. I think it's like 33% or something of all public companies don't even turn a profit, right? I mean, Uber, I don't know if they turn a profit yet, but that's a company that doesn't turn a profit. You know, um, there's a plenty of companies that don't turn profits and they're subsidized by investors, right? But they pay an interest rate for that. Well, as interest rates start to come up, right? Naturally, the fed's going to have to start buying, buying other securities, buying corporate debt, right? Buying corporate stock. Okay. And then you basically have the government expanding into private enterprise and, and taking over. Right. And you have this blend of corporate and government, and that really leads to a real bad problem, kind of a, uh, you know, banana republic. Right. I mean, the, the, the government just prints a bunch of money uh, or, you know, they just come out with a big spending bill and the Fed monetizes it and they monetize the expansion of all these corporations. Right. Um, but you're going to see in that case, you will see hyperinflation. Now, by the way, we're probably at hyperinflation already, 15% inflation. We don't have 7.5% inflation. We have 15% inflation. We have a problem that is not going to be fixed by small rate hikes. So we're going to see continued volatility. Uh, and then the Fed's going to have a choice when they break the market, they're going to have to figure out what they're going to do. Um, and, you know, as an investment advisory firm, this is This is an extremely important stuff to understand. You know, most investment advisors, and I deal with clients, thousands of clients I've done intakes for, the majority of them are not hearing from their investment advisors right now. Their investment advisors are not making any changes to the portfolio. They're planning on letting the portfolios go down 20 30% if that's what happens. Based on some idea that historical precedent is going to happen again, that somehow the market will just recover in short order, when the only reason it recovered in short order in in things like covid was cuz the fed came in and bought everything and printed a bunch of money and fixed the financial system okay that doesn't have to happen again and if that does happen again we will see hyperinflation and and that's that's not good for anybody that's not good for any company any consumer that's that's the that's the end if you will of You know, the U.S. dollar being the the world reserve currency. I mean, if they if they can't control inflation and this they're at a tipping point right now, they're either going to do it. They're going to control inflation and there are going to be major ramifications to the market. I mean, you can see 30 percent, 40 percent, 50 percent corrections that may not come back for 10, 15, 20 years. However. If they decide to not fight inflation, it's going to be a whole lot worse. So, again, as an investment advisory firm, our job is to understand that we don't have to ride a market to the bottom. Uh, We have different ways of understanding what's going on in the market, Um, investing in things that that provide dividends. You know, we don't have to be only invested in the U.S., um, but we want dividends now. We want profit now. We understand there's a rotation from growth to value because they have higher price to earnings. They're going to be more impacted by rate hikes So in the short term. We're really focused on the Fed. The Rate hikes are coming, right? And they are going to cause volatility. They're going to cause negative pressure on the markets. We're aware of that. We want to make sure that this is going to be an opportunity for our clients, not a a detriment. And um, that's what it's all about. So thank you for listening. I know it was a little long and a little long-winded, but we really wanted to go through the dire situation that the U.S. government is in right now. And if you haven't gone through our financial planning process, if you're not already a client, go to freedomandwealthusa.com, request a free financial plan. Uh, You'll get a financial plan. It's very detailed. It includes um, distributions in retirement, kind of how your assets will provide your income that you need in retirement based on the inflation rate that you choose. And then it also will incorporate taxation, how much you'll pay tax. Um, how much your Social Security will be taxed, how much your Medicare will be taxed based on your other income. And then it'll show tax strategies that you should implement. And it'll also have an investment strategy that we build to hedge against the coming market headwinds. Again, both uh, rising inflation and rising interest rates, which potentially call major market corrections. Um, This is what it's all about. Again, freedomandwealthusa.com. Thank you for joining. Hope you have a wonderful day. The opinions expressed by Brian Nicolason and guests on this radio show are their own and do not reflect the opinions of this radio station. All statements and opinions expressed are based upon information considered reliable, although it should not be relied upon as such. Any statements or opinions are subject to change without notice. Investments involve risk and unless otherwise stated are not guaranteed. Past performance cannot be used as an indicator to determine future results. Any strategies mentioned may not be suitable for everyone. Information expressed does not take into account your specific situation or objectives and is not intended as recommendations appropriate for you. Before acting on any information mentioned, please consult with a qualified tax or investment advisor to determine if it is suitable for your specific situation. This program is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information with regard to subject covered. Investment advisory services offered through Brookstone Capital Management, LLC, a registered investment advisor. BCM and Nicholas and Wealth Partners are independent of each other. Insurance products and services are not offered through BCM, but are offered and sold through individually licensed and appointed agents.